Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View Wrap on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero, joined in the studio by finance presenter JP Ong and on the phone by market strategist from the SGX, Jeff Howie. Now, it has been an eventful week. Today, the Singapore government announced a series of initiatives to boost the local stock market with a new billion dollar fund. Singapore <coughs> is a favoured listing destination for REITs, but has not been so attractive to initial public offerings from the tech sector, which has been on the top investment themes in global markets. With the introduction of SPACs and this new fund, will it make a difference to the equation? Maybe. We'll see. Data Hmm. from China also added uncertainty to the trading week. Lots to look at today, but we start with an overview of how markets are trading here. And in Asia right now, JP, over to you. All right. Setting the table for everybody here. And on the last trading day before we head into the weekend, the Straits Times Index is once again hobbled by slight losses. And when I mean slight, I mean it's just down by about five points today, 0.2% of the red, and just sliding to 3,059 points. We're seeing value turnover fairly high today. So you've got some appetite actually on the market today, about 632 million Singapore dollars in total trades changing hands. But it seems that a lot of the losses today might be really among the blue chips because we're actually seeing more gators than losers. The margins are still pretty thin, but about 217 stocks, REITs and trusts are in the green, and that's outnumbering the 195 losers. So when you look at the uh, second and third lighters today, they're having a better Friday as compared to some of the heavyweights here in Singapore. You mentioned that markets here seem a bit more cautious also, and that is manifesting because of some of those risk factors that you outlined, uh, Clarissa, and, and And uh, a lot of this also coming from the weak macro data from China. I do want to remind our listeners that one of the most stark ones actually last Wednesday was China's retail sales in the month of August. Economists surveyed by Dow Jones and Bloomberg and Reuters all expected that there was going to be a growth of about 7.5%. But in a sign that consumer sentiment is starting to slow down in China, it only came in actually at growth of about 2.5%. So that's less than half what people were actually expecting. Um, We saw, and this also weighed on markets who are wondering if the slowdown in China is really starting to happen. Of course, we have some of those issues with regards to China Evergrad, and if it does raise contagion fears for the rest of the region, it's influencing markets, but in more mixed fashion in today's session. We've got the Nikkei 225 actually looking good today. They're up by about half a percent to 30,483 points, and we do know that there's still some optimism left in Tokyo about the potential uh, changing of uh, change in leadership that could actually bring in more business-friendly policies and potentially a better response to the COVID-19 pandemic there. Um, we are seeing that the South Korean Kospi is also looking a bit okay today. They're up by about 0.3% in today's session, up to 3,137. The uh, ASX 200, though, has fallen by about 1% today to 7,385 points. And, and they're also in the red alongside the rest of greater Chinese stocks. We've got Shanghai today down by about 0.9%. Shenzhen also falling about 0.3% lower today, while the Hang Seng and the Taiex are actually in the green today. The Hang Seng and the Taiex in Taipei, uh, Hong, the Hong Kong and Taiwanese benchmarks gaining by about half a percent each to 24,807 and 17,374 respectively. Um, you know, we look at the, the SG, SGX today and uh, <clears throat> we are seeing that the STI, as we mentioned, is a bit more challenging compared to the second and third lighters. And once again, one of the more exposed uh, China stocks today, um, Yang Zijiang Shipbuilding is today's most heavily traded offer. The Chinese 
Fleet Shipbuilder, though, continues to lose ground, falling 2% to $1.48. The banks are all looking fairly mixed. DBS is in the red, but not by much. The Southeast Asia's largest lender just trading $0.03 cents lower, $30.05 per share, while we're seeing UOB actually up today by about $0.06. Cents. They're doing most of the heavy lifting in the banking space, rising to $25.62. OCBC back, though, trading about $0.01 cent lower at $11.59 in today's session. A better outing, at least for the REITs so far, we're seeing Capital and Integrated Commercial Trust gating by half a percent to $2.03 apiece. One thing that might also be weighing on consumer sentiment here, on sentiment here in Singapore was the release of those non-oil domestic exports that actually came in significantly below July's 12.7% expansion. August non-oil domestic exports only came in with growth of about 2.7% for the most part. So that's keeping some of these manufacturers in check. But we are seeing that there's a couple of them actually doing quite well. AEM, for one, is gaining by about 3.1% to $4.27. Um, but we are also seeing that uh, another strong day from Hattonland, and it seems their announcement that they're going to put up crypt- cryptocurrency mining rigs seems to be bolstering their share price. The shares have now surged by about near almost 27% today, up to 7.6 cents. They're one of the big gainers in today's session. And as we mentioned, there's a lot more action, it seems, and, and more positive action for the second and third lighters, judging by the tail of the tape between winners and losers. And overall, we're seeing that the STI, while it is trading lower today, it's not by much, but there are a few uncertainties out there. Of course, we also have to take note of the fact that uh, COVID-19 cases here have remained at at elevated numbers, and that's just capping sentiment just a little bit. We bring Jeff Howey, market strategist from the SGX, into the conversation. It has been an eventful week, um, and there's so much data from around the world that has added to the uncertainty and and maybe the the shade of red that we've seen more this week than we have in previous weeks, Jeff. Yeah, for much of the week, we saw... The China stock market produced those four successive uh, declines in the first four days of this week. I think the FTSE China A50 index declined pretty close to 4%. Uh, and over the same period, our decline, which was, wasn't, was, wasn't as bad, we probably saw a quarter to a third of those losses that China saw. But nonetheless, we were weighed by the Jardine, Matheson, Wilmar, Hong Kong Land, Dairy Farm International, as did uh, the recent outperformer, Young Zijiang Shipbuilding, weighing it. So um, I guess today we've seen the CSI 300. It has broken that, um, so far broken that successive declines, I think, with a gain of three-tenths of a percent. Now, the China's small caps were not as impacted as the large caps this week, though. Um, The FTSE China A share, I think, small cap index declined something like 1%. And and as JP said, within the banks that have been mixed, UOB was more defensive than DBS and OCBC over the week. And that was mostly due to UOB's 1% gain on Tuesday, um, which compared to both DBS and OCBC both declining two-tenths of a percent. Now, when you look at the, um, uh, I guess, the revenue exposure to Greater China, including Hong Kong, UOB maintains the least revenue exposure of the three banks. I think it's just under 10% for UOB, nearly 14% for OCBC, and 25% for DBS. Uh, Top quarter of China and Hong Kong real estate developers also saw a decline over those four sessions, something like 5% over the week on the back, obviously, of those growing uh, Evergrande concerns. But, you know, we, um, we, you know, for the, for the, I guess for the broader FTSE ST All Share Index, as JP said, we've got um, that, you know, some of those China plays weighing. Yangtze Jiangship building's been um, among the least three best, uh, along the, 
Oh, sorry, it's been uh, among the three least performing stocks of the index so far this week, but with down eight percent. But that's that's bringing its uh, year-to-date gain down to fifty-nine percent. And just like Tianjin Zhongxin Pharmaceutical Group, which has also been comparatively strong this year, its 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 seven uh, percent decline this week has trimmed its year-to-date gain to forty-two percent. You have Sun Power Group, Hong Kong Land Holdings, also among the l- least. Uh, performing stocks, but on the other side, China Everbright Water has been among our strongest stocks this week. It's it's up something like nine percent this week, um, bringing its uh, year-to-date gain to forty-seven percent. Um, but then, tech uh, and trade stocks um, have, I guess, continued to uh, to lead the market this week. Okay, let's talk about the news that was released earlier this morning. Singapore government announcing those series of initiatives to boost. Local, the local stock market. Now, clearly, there is an interest in getting more tech stocks to list with us. And with the SPACs coming into play, that could just happen. What are your thoughts yeah, on that? Well, well, it's a concerted push, as the minister said. And the push is to align the trajectory of these new companies, these new growth companies, tech companies, as you say, with our Singapore uh, capital markets. And by extension, that's going to help continue to widen the, I guess, the broader economic horizons of the country as well. So there's, there's, it's a fourfold initiative. The first is the Anchor Fund at 65. That's going to be established to help high-growth enterprises raise capital through the public listing process. Then you've got um, the Growth IPO Fund. Now, that will be helping those late-stage enterprises that are still some, like, something like two or more funding rounds away from listing. Um, so it will help them to prepare for the, an eventual listing. Thirdly, you've got the Grant for the Equity Market Singapore, the GEM scheme, and that's already supporting enterprises seeking to list here and also helping to develop the equity research ecosystem. So that's going to be bolstered, that uh, that initiative. Um, to share with you and the, and the listeners, that GEMS research initiative that my team uh, worked pretty, um, pretty diligently on for the last two years and putting quite a bit of hard work into it, it's seen close to 580 research reports on Singapore stocks published. And the coverage initiated, it's also initiated coverage on close to 120 unique companies. And that's at the same time providing employment opportunities for the aspiring analysts. Um, and then the finally, there's, there's the strategic partnership, which will look to develop these bespoke solutions ranging from private market fundraising uh, to liquidity building for our listed companies, in addition to increasing the ability for the high growth companies to source capital across uh, the very broadening global investment base. And it is really important to remain globally competitive in this sense and, and, and provide I guess the multiple avenues for for different companies to raise capital at different stages of growth, which which SPACs are obviously also looking to achieve by providing that alternative route for issuers. And as you say, that's more choice for investors, particularly in tech and healthcare sectors, which have been a growth focus in recent years. The um, the technology uh, it's 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 been such a key regional growth driver as well, um, and that's demonstrated. I know we had the Nodex number today, and we have IP next Friday, but um, nonetheless, throughout the year, we have seen resilient manufacturing growth in Singapore, particularly in the electronics cluster. And, and it's, um, I guess, some recent examples of how the tech companies continue to use fundraising, even at the latter stage, the more mature stage. Um, AEM's, remember AEM Holdings last week, uh, last month, I should say, it, it raised um, 
it looked to raise its manufacturing and its innovation capabilities in, in semiconductors by raising $100 million, uh, Singapore dollars in a private placement to Tomasic. And that increased Tomasic's deemed interest in AEM from four-tenths of a percent to nine percent. So AEM then uses that secondary funding to bolster its growth um, by investing in next-gen testing capabilities. It deepens its R&D um, to accelerate its product portfolio. And it also uses those funds to um, further expand its uh, M&A plan. So um, what I should mention is that at the same time, our, our most traded tech stocks uh, here in Singapore, they have been highly competitive in the last 10 years. Um, they, they, might, they, they, do, uh, they, are, they are a little bit, I guess, smaller than you, you would think because you, you take the, the, like Nanofilm, Venture, AEM, UMS, ISDN and Franken, they're the most traded tech stocks, but, and they only make up just 1% of the combined market value of all stocks on the exchange, but there's a lot of interest in it. Those six stocks, they generate 5% of our day-to-day turnover in the stock market, and they have performed pretty strongly over the last 10 years. The, the, the five that have been listed for the 10-year duration, Venture, ISDN, Franken, UMS, and AEM, their returns over the last 10 years, they range from 10% average annualised total return for Venture Corp to 54% average annualised return for AEM Holdings. And by comparison, the big global tech benchmarks generated something like a 20 to 22% average annualised return over that period. So it's, it's about facilitating growth. Um, we, we remember in October 2020, our homegrown deep tech firm Nanofilm, it, it listed. It's generated a return of 80% since then, but its listing also um, showed us uh, how, how well our supportive ecosystem was working for the tech startups in Singapore, and we're, going to, and, and we're obviously looking to build on that. Um, it, it, was, it was pretty impressive, um, those initiatives. I think Dr. Shi, he founded uh, Nanofilm back in 99, I think with only 300,000 US dollars. It started as a tech startup, spun off from the NTU, uh, where he, he worked as an associate professor. It grew throughout the years. Um, the Singapore government and investors provided support. I think in 2015, um, it, it developed its proprietary coding and coding systems, and that uh, R&D was helped funded by Spring Singapore's Capability De- Development Grant. And then I think it was in 2016, OCBC and Lion OCBC Capital Asia uh, made that equity investment um, with uh, a, a, group, uh, a group of Heliconia and UOB managed private equity funds and EDB investments as well, I think also subscribed to its convertible note. So this ecosystem is so important um, and it, it, uh, it's, it's a great, I guess, initiative to, as, as, as Minister said, make a concerted push to really anchor, grow and enhance the support and partnership for these companies. Now, a billion dollars sounds like a lot of money, but it actually isn't. So... Who yeah, is but it, it is and it isn't. I mean, too. Well, 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 think of AEM Holdings, right? One of our 25 most traded stocks here. That, that stock um, is, has a billion dollar market value. And it's, it, um, it's, it's, its combined market value over the last 10 years has basically grown from a, a market cap of $20 million to above $1, $1 billion. Um, and that's, that's, that's seeing its share price gain from something like below 10% to above $4 as it is today. Um, and back back then, in 2011, I think AEM's FY10 profit before tax was something for, like $4 million. And now it's, um, it, for FY20, I think it was $114 million. So that's a 30-fold increase in its FY10 result. 
um, at the same time that market cap grew to more than 50-fold. Now, the $1 billion, as we say, it might not seem like a lot when you're uh, looking at companies like DBS and our big blue chip companies that have $70 billion uh, market value and are among Southeast Asia's biggest stocks. But as we said, we've got uh, we've, we, we, the technology companies are generally smaller. Um, like I said, that those six most traded technology stocks here in Singapore, they make up 5% of our day-to-day turnover, but they're only about 1% of the total market cap. So, um, you know, the $1 billion, as we say, going to the small and to the mid-cap companies that are the higher-growing, identified as the higher-growing companies with those um, with that growth potential uh, can certainly make a difference. JP? Mm, yeah, I, well, <clears throat> what's interesting about the tech sector and what's unique about uh, Singapore's um, a tech environment too is you see a lot of tech startups actually choosing Singapore as a base, whether it be because of preferential tax treatments, because of government support. It's become some, some sort of a hub for tech startups. And when you look at some of the uh, existing uh, listed tech firms here in Singapore, a lot of them straddle this very unique line between technology and manufacturing. You talk about Venture Corp being a key supplier for a lot of these big um, uh, technology forward um, companies. AEM, for instance, a chip uh, solutions provider, UMS, a lot of these companies that Jeff actually mentioned. But it has been a bit of a, a challenge, uh, if, and, I, and I don't mean this as a slight, actually, a bit of a, sl- a challenge, actually, to ch- get them to choose listing or raising money here in uh, Singapore. But with this initiative, and also the listing of, and also the advent of SPACs and Singapore really being the first of the punch actually with getting SPACs into their into their uh, ecosystem actually um, it almost creates like a one-two punch to see and if we can get more of these tech firms to actually list and perhaps even just reshape and rebalance um, the makeup of Singapore's markets the big question is will this be enough to actually push them forward yeah so yeah. that remains to be seen Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, before we run out of time, gentlemen, what are we looking forward to next week? What what wonderful news can we look forward to? Central banks. Go ahead, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So central banks, you've got uh, the FOMC, 2 a.m. Thursday morning. Um, This is going to follow... Uh, the weakest monthly, weakest monthly jobs report the U.S. has seen um, since January, um, which it reported back uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, that is going to uh, obviously take a lot of uh, focus. Um, the obviously the Fed Reserve has clearly identified that jobs will become will uh, will um, come first, uh, and 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 fixing the job U.S. job market before they look to uh, hike interest rates. Um, nonetheless, um, they have mentioned that they have been looking at tapering before the end of the year, so that will be a uh, focus as well. But before then, on Monday, well, I should mention Capital Land Investment is set to uh, come back into the SDI and mm. start trading again. Um, the STI weight is expected to be between 2 and 3%. OLAM International will also join the STI reserve list. It will also go to the top of the STI reserve list based on its size. And then that ground rule change to the FTSE Apronari Global Real Estate Index Series that lowers the threshold for entry will take effect on the close today and the open on Monday. And that will, um, that will see uh, 10 REITs and one staple trust join the index. And at last estimates, there's something like $320 billion US dollars that actually tracks that FTSE Apronari Global Real Estate Index Series.
Mm. Okay, so it might be some fun to look at next week, JP. Pretty much. We also have to remember that industrial production and CPI figures for uh, Singapore coming out, uh, inflation data coming on Thursday, uh, industrial production on Friday. And on top of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the Federal Reserve, we've got the Bank of England, the Banco Central in, uh, in, in the Philippines, and also the Bank of Japan set to make their policy decisions. So it's going to be a bit of an, a central bank smorgasbord um, next week, alongside that, the, that big shakeup that we're seeing, at least in Singapore markets and these, and these indices for the FTSE Bernard Index and also the STI. So basically what you're saying is I can't concentrate <coughs> on baseball games more, next week. There's going to be more shuffling than on a markdown table. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we look forward to the shuffling. The STI currently just in the red down 0.09% to 3,061 oh, points. Yeah. It is 61, right? Yeah. 3,061 points. I'm Clarissa Montero, joined in the studio by finance presenter J.P. Ong and on the phone by market strategist from the SGX, Jeff Howie. Gentlemen, have a fantastic weekend. You're on Money FM 89.3, Singapore's most influential radio station. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.